This is the Shift Podcast. Coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast, a new study says over 30% of Canadians can't afford to pay their bills. Grant Mazian, president of MNP, helps us understand if the cost of living is out of control and if Canadians need to adjust their spending habits. Have aliens been to Earth and were they here long before us? Greg Fish looks at why some researchers think humans might not have been the first to inhabit our beautiful planet. Plus, are you okay with pets this is the shift podcast are you okay all right friends are you okay with pets oh yeah i mean uh i don't particularly i'm not very good at taking care of them however i'm kind of like the cool uncle to my partner Laura's dog and it's okay. like every time I walk in the house the dog which is a golden retriever is just overly excited to see me and that's because I've never disciplined it or done anything wrong I literally only pet it and give it love and I can tell that Laura's parents and Laura are a little jealous because <laughs> it's not <laughs> intentional it's just I've have only given that dog love and I would do anything for that dog. So maybe one day I'll actually get a pet of my own though. Brandon Kelly. Yeah. Kind of the same way. Um, I love other people's pets and they always flock to me and I always flock to them. Like my friends, dogs, my friends, cats just love them. But myself, I'm not the greatest at like taking care. You know, I could, I might be the greatest. I might actually, I just haven't given it a shot. I've never had a pet like, ever since I've been on my own. Like we had cats and stuff and birds and all kinds of stuff growing up. But ever since I moved out, I I never had a pet that uh, I had to take care of. And quite honestly, I struggle to take care of myself most days. So I I don't want to. Yeah. But uh, don't let that be an excuse, Brendan, to not give your love away. Okay. Just because you can't take care of yourself doesn't mean that you shouldn't give your love away uh, to another person or to an animal. Uh, I'm a huge fan of pets. Uh, We had a dog up until uh, last year when he got old and uh, went to the big farm in the sky. And we're contemplating getting another one. It almost happened this week, actually, because the neighbor brought home three dogs from a rescue and was trying to pick which one they were going to keep. And it was like, well, these other two are up for grabs. If you want one of them, we chose not to because the kids are still just a bit young and it's just going to be a lot right now, but we will definitely have uh, more pets or just more dogs. I like other pets too. Cats are good and stuff, but probably just, just dogs. But what about the people who keep lots of pets, you know, like the Mm. animal people, like Tiger King, like hundreds of pets. A man in Maryland has died after he was bitten by one of his 124 different snakes that he kept in his home. When Charles County sheriffs entered the home, they found the man on the floor. He was unresponsive. But they also found more than 100 snakes of various varieties, all in cages, some of them deadly. That's when animal control was called in. Jennifer Harris with Charles County says they've never seen a snake collection like this before. He does have a collection of venomous snakes that are illegal to keep in the state of Maryland. So we're looking into, you know, obviously how you would have acquired that and and, 
um, kept them inside the home. Some of the breeds that our animal control officers encountered included uh, pythons, rattlesnakes, cobras, black mambas. Charles County Animal Control was able to isolate the non-venomous snakes, but an expert from North Carolina had to be brought in to deal with the venomous snakes. As for the conditions inside the house? He was very meticulous about the way in which he handled and cared for the snakes inside the home. They were all very properly secured. They were racked. Um, he did not keep a lot of furniture inside the home, so there was no place if a snake, for example, were to escape where it could hide or um, you know, harm anybody. It seems as if he was almost uh, obsessive in his uh, cl cleanliness and the, and the keeping and care of the animals inside the home. That clip is from NBC News. Exotic animal experts removed all the snakes the day after the man's death. Gosh, if only someone had told him that cobras and black mambas are very, very dangerous animals. Yeah. If only. The, I, it, it does make me feel better to know that at least they were well cared for. That There's that. <laughs> yeah. I like snakes. I think snakes are cool. But And I know a guy who's got... I think he has three snakes. He's got a bunch of tarantulas, lizards. He's like a, you know, he likes bugs and lizards and snakes. And uh, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of work to keep them, you know, uh, well cared for. So the fact that he was able to do that for 124 snakes uh, and the fact that only one of them bit him and that he didn't just, you know, get attacked by all of them. I, I think that's impressive. But man. I guess he died doing what he loved most, which is taking care of snakes. Like, I don't uh, know. Yeah. I, I suppose there is uh, some positivity in there. I also feel, though, that like that these are these are like lethal, highly so dangerous animals. You know, I don't think that they understand. I And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a snake expert could tell me like you're totally wrong on this. But I don't feel like the snake is sitting there going, you know what? This guy keeps the place really, really clean, so I'm not going to bite him. I don't, something tells me that's not what is going through the snake's mind when it decides no. I'm going to bite this guy no, and kill him snake. with venom. It's a snake. It's a snake. I remember snake. I was talking to a, a dude who handled bears. He was like a bear handler at a wildlife place. And I was mm -hmm. like, man, these bears love you. It's almost like a, it's like the bear is your dog. And he was like, yeah, but it's still a bear. Like you can never trust it because it's a yeah. bear. It's a bear. Yeah, exactly. As it's a bear. Someone who used to handle walruses, <laughs> like 3,000 pound <laughs> walruses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, uh, yeah, they loved me you, when man. I was feeding them fish and everything, but they were also 3,000 pounds and they were surprisingly fast on land. I'll tell oh, you I that much. It. I believe they can it. Outrun now, me. can, can a, like our walrus dangerous to people? Um, well, they try to play is their biggest thing. Yeah, they're incredibly ah. dangerous to people. They try to play, right. but they don't realize that, like, we're pretty fragile, and we also can't hold our breath underwater for more than a few seconds, and they can do right. it for, like, four minutes. Yeah. Sounds cool, though. I mean, the idea of having snakes, walrus, bear as a pet, cool, but probably much cooler in messy, thought. Messy. Walruses are very messy. Yeah. Bears too, I imagine. All right. Are you okay with losing weight? Hmm. Um, it's, uh, I wish, 
I wish it was easier. You know, I like it's. I like it. It's just I find trouble motivating for it. I think I'm gonna join one of those. I don't think I need to lose weight, but I, I I'd like to get more active. I think I want to do one of those classes. Uh, you know, I, I, I hate the idea of a gym, just going into this big open area where uh, I don't know what to do. People are all doing their own thing. I need guidance a hundred percent. So I'm thinking I'm actually this summer going to join a class where it's like the same workout once a week with like a group of people that appeals to me in terms of losing weight and also just eating healthier because I love my cheeseburgers. Yeah, the diet, the diet is a big thing, but I would say, Ryan, I would never have suggested that you need to lose weight. Uh, I myself am, I'm like running because I also am trying to like shave a few pounds, you know, just to be a little healthier and stuff. Uh, it's interesting because again, I'm kind of the opposite. I hate the class thing and I like going to the gym and just doing my own thing because I don't want to have to be on anyone else's schedule. I want to just be able to go when I do it and stuff. But I did end up doing the class thing. A friend, uh, who owns a fitness center, like put me up to it. They do these like bar fitness classes. And, uh, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with bar fitness. It's marketed exclusively to women. So I was the, the lone, uh, male in the bar fitness class. And, uh, it was, you know what? It actually was really good. It was really good and a lot harder than I thought that it was. Uh, so the class thing, I feel, I feel that Brendan Kelly, cool. you, you're like the fitness guy. Yeah. The, this is the best, um, uh, like results I've gotten in my life. Just doing it myself at home with instruction from online. The gym thing was too self-conscious for me. I always felt like people were judging my terrible form and now I can like try over and over again and fail in my living room and nobody's really judging me except for maybe the neighbors looking through the blinds, but who cares? Um, yeah. And outside of that, yeah. Uh, the running, I did a lot. I've done a lot of running and a lot of half marathons over the years. Um, and I find that running is actually really bad for losing weight, um, especially when you do long distance running. You kind of want to eat more <laughs> and you end up, you actually and end up gaining weight. When I started training for a marathon and I never ended up doing it because COVID happened. I actually ended up gaining weight the first three months of training Jeez. because I was running 20, 25 kilometers and then I'd want to eat everything in the world when I got home. <laughs> and now, because you're, you're obviously a much more versed runner than I am, there's also this thing where your body learns to like maximize its, its, its uh, efficiency. So it, it finds ways to like do that run but while burning less calories. As opposed to burning yeah. more calories, yeah. I find, I it think, like gets used to the running and burns less yeah. calories. I think the best bet for losing weight is probably lifting weights because your muscles, when they repair themselves, even after you're done lifting, when they're repairing themselves over the next couple of hours, you're burning calories. Right. Yeah. Well, it's never as easy. It's never easy, but it's almost always worth it. But police officers in Texas now have a very clear incentive to keep slim this year, and it's not to avoid being like Chief Wiggum on The Simpsons. Hmm. Hey, Cora, I, I heard science is working on a donut that actually burns off calories. Uh, how's that going? What? Ah, never mind. Uh, just refill this with jelly, will you? Thanks, you're an angel. What? Why, why don't we have a donut that burns calories? 
Right? My grandpa always used to ask for uh, ever any time we went out for dinner, he would always go, "And hey, can I get a side of diet gravy?" And just to see the waiter's or the waiter's <laughs> reaction. And um, I think actually a dream. If I ever become a billionaire like Elon Musk, my first thing I'll try to to crowdsource and build will be diet gravy. I like it. There you go. Texas state troopers will want to lose weight because if they don't, they'll lose money. Next, more than 200 state troopers will need to slim down this year or face disciplinary actions. According to the Dallas Morning News, men with waists over 40 inches, women with waists over 35 inches, now have to track and share their weight loss efforts. Officers who don't trim down by December can be denied promotions and overtime or be removed from enforcement duties. All right, that's from KHOU 11, and the policy applies to about 4,000 total officers. Now, I'm sure that there's more to this and and lots of details and opt-in, opt-out, that type of thing. But the first thing that came to mind, the first thing that came to mind when I heard this was, have you guys seen Casino, the De Niro movie, Robert De Niro, Casino, Scorsese? Years ago. So good, right? It's so good. But it's like Vegas back in the day. And mm-hmm. uh, it reminds me of the the scene where he has he's got like the showgirls and he brings them in once a week and like measures them and weighs them and stuff. Terrible thing. Not OK. Right. Oh. Completely not OK. Yet now we're applying that same standard to our uh, to our men in uniform. I don't know. It's interesting. Well, it is a rare case where that job you want to be in, I would say, good physical condition to be like that's good. That's an uh an asset in that kind of work, but how much of an asset, how necessary is that asset? I feel like there's going to be some interesting legal battles that come from this. Like there's going to be a weird lawsuit, uh, that, uh, comes from this, but I, I understand it, but I don't think it's going to fly. I I don't think it's going to fly. I, I do like the idea of like making something like this competitive, you know, because if you're a competitive person, that would help. Like if the three of us all said, hey, we're going to have a, a a bet to see who can lose five pounds the fastest and the losers have to get a pie in the face or something like that, that I find motivating, you know, and if, the, if there's some sort of com- competition level here, but uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I I agree with you, Ryan. I feel like it could go bad. I feel like it could go bad. This is the Shift Podcast. I think it helps. At least I know it helps me uh, when I know that other people are going through the same things that I am going or in the same boat as I am. And one of the things that I have found difficult over the last, I guess, like six months is all of the news headlines about how financially difficult and how fiscally hard things are becoming for Canadians and how that's going to be uh, in the future. We know about inflation. We know about interest rates, uh, cost of housing, cost of gas, cost of groceries, all of this stuff. It sucks. And it is really, really hard to make ends meet sometimes. But I feel like it's at least it, it doesn't make it better, but it's like easier when you know that everybody is affected by that. And when I say that, really, I 
I mean that, that everybody is being affected by this. Uh, and to help us kind of unpack a lot of that, I am pleased to welcome our next guest to the show. His name is Grant Bayesian, and he is the president of MNP. It's an accounting firm. They know a ton about this stuff. And uh, Grant, I want to ask you first about this study uh, that I saw that sort of speaks to this idea that so, so many of us are feeling this way. And uh, I found this a, a bit scary, uh, but maybe you can sort of help kind of disarm that a little bit, or may maybe it should be scary. I don't know. But the headline that I saw, and you probably saw it too, it was a lot of places, 31%, that's like a third of people, 31% of Canadians can't afford to pay their bills. <laughs> that's, the, that's the sentiment we're getting. Uh, the survey that we have Ipsos prepare for us is truly a sentiment survey. So we're not going in and digging through the financial paperwork and the bank accounts of individuals for obvious reasons. This is what they're feeling. They feel like they can't pay it. Um, and it is scary. And, you know, the, what's the root cause of that? That's the big question. That's what you try and grapple with. Why is that? And common sense would probably dictate that uh, inflation is definitely a, a piece of the puzzle, but also with rising interest rates is the other piece. It's the double whammy. And I think it's causing a lot of nervousness. And yeah. Okay. So before we go to, because there's a lot of things I want to ask about there, like the interest rate and inflation and all that type of stuff. So 31%, that's like one in three. Now, what like what would you consider normal? I guess it's never good if there's Canadians that can't pay their bills, but is there is there like a number that we should be shooting for? Is it like one in 10? Is it like, I have no concept, but 31% seems really high to me. It does seem high. You know, the best I can go with is the, uh, the past records from our index. And they haven't varied much. You're varying by a few percentage points either way. So it's a pretty, pretty consistent message hmm. that uh, we've been hearing since uh, 2017 when we launched the survey. So what to say is the ideal? The ideal is probably zero, right? Yeah. But uh, what, what's average? It seems like average is probably a few points below this, okay. uh, from the, at least from the survey and the index. Uh, I don't have any other, any other independent studies to say you know, what's normal, what the global standard is. It's just that we're hitting, this is, this is what we're dealing with right now. Yeah. And now the, the main place that I would go to when I read something like this is just, we're overspending, you know, we're spending money. I mean, we, all we talk about is how much money we spend on housing here, but yeah, it's just like the cost of living is just out of control in Canada. Is it okay? So let me ask it this way. Is it that, is it that the cost of living in Canada is out of control or are we just not very good with our money? I think it's a combination of both. And I, I think that the majority of Canadians are probably still in a good space. You know, they're, they're financially competent. Um, the older generation definitely has enough savings that they're not too concerned about interest rates increasing up. It's more of a nuisance to them. But when you have, um, you know, millions of people never seeing a raise in interest rates in their young adulthood, they learn to build their lifestyles around that. And generally speaking, the Western world, North America, we love consumerism. So you put those two things together and you typically overspend. Uh, you, like, you, you like your nice dinners and you sort of get a lifestyle that you're accustomed to the good or better things in life, right? The good things in life. You don't want to fly, you know, uh, business, uh, you know, economy, you want to fly business yeah. class. Yeah. So, and when you have a lifestyle, it's very, very hard to change. Um, but, and, and it was sustainable, I think, for many years for many people. 
But when you have the double whammy of inflation and, and interest rate increases, it, it's not as sustainable for as many people as, as they would think. And it really comes down to a lifestyle change. And yeah. it's... You're, you're speaking my language there. So I'm 40. And uh, my wife and I were fortunate enough to buy our, our first uh, get our first mortgage in 2010. So almost, you know, like 10 years ago. And I remember the mortgage broker that we worked with, he was like, you know, you guys, it's, it's really good right now. The rate is really low. You're never going to see rates like this. He's like, you got maybe six, six to 10 months of these low rates before they start to go up. And here we are a decade later. And exactly like you say, in my lifetime, you know, we were variable rate, variable rate, and they, they, it was never an issue. And now, fortunately, we are on a fixed rate mortgage now. Um, but I, I totally relate to that. Like my whole peer group, we're all, we've all been sort of living this way. And our parents have been telling us stories of like 12 and 15% interest back in the 80s and stuff. But okay, so you mentioned uh, inflation and then this interest rate hike. Now, again, total uh, layman here. I have no idea. But I thought the interest rate hike is supposed to help with inflation. Is that yeah. the idea? Yeah, no, I'm not an economist by, by training. Uh, of course, took it in school like most sure. people. Um, but the general rule of thumb is that, yeah, you increase interest rates to, to lower inflation. I think the federal government and governments around the world were waiting on the interest rates. They weren't sure if inflation was going to be a temporary blip um, and to what scale. But I think they're realizing now it's more of a chronic problem. And the first method to sort of tackle that is interest rate. But it's it, there's a transition period. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. I'm not sure how long it will take. Uh, it probably varies depending upon uh, the time. But for now, people are hitting hit with inflation, shrinkflation, and high interest rates. The goal, I think, in the, the federal government would be that uh, the inflation will go down. And when inflation goes down, maybe they can start reducing interest rates once again and get back to like uh, the level the way it was, was before. But for the next short while, it's going to be harder on Canadians' pocketbooks because they're going to have to deal with both. Yeah. And that, that's what our survey seems to, that's the sentiment of Canadians. That's what our survey is telling us. Yeah. And it's interesting to me too, because there's sort of all of these things going on and you can't quite put your finger on exactly what uh, would necessarily be the cause, but it definitely feels like we're getting hit from all sides, whether it's gas prices or food prices or, you know, just things like diapers, like all, all of this sort of stuff. So you mentioned that, you know, it'll continue for at least the short term. What is, what would you consider short term? Oh, probably the next six months. And I'm, you know, I have no crystal ball here. It's just, sure. I, guess. I know the bank of Canada wants to raise interest rates again. They haven't been shy about saying, saying that they raised it, you know, a quarter point and now they're raising a 50 basis points and they say there's more to come. Um, and so I would say that the next six months, if not longer, we're probably going to be dealing with this. And with 2 million Canadians having their mortgages up for renewal and, and, and new entrance into the marketplace, it's uh, it's a bit unnerving, but you know, Budgeting is the answer, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, figure out what you, your needs are, your essentials, and, and maybe forego the luxury items and the stuff that you don't really need, and, and that puts you in a better, safer position. Sure. Yeah. That was going to be my, one of my questions is like, okay, because we hear all this doom and gloom about finance and economy and stuff. Uh, so you recommend budgeting. Is there, is there anything else like that, that we can do? because we can budget out our household. I get that. But is there things that I can do that would affect, like, is there anything that we do as a species that affects 
the interest rate and the economy. Like I remember there used to be this idea of like, Hey, if we all boycott this one gas station, they'll be forced to lower their gas prices just, just to compete uh, supply and demand, that type of thing. Or does that play any role in this at all? Uh, I I'm thinking probably not. I think if people were to boycott a particular service or industry that, that, that company would probably go bankrupt themselves. Right. Um, you know, they, they have, shareholders to respond to and they have costs that are rising for them as well right so even though gas may be going up and we're we're feeling the brunt of that but for the producers their costs are going up as well they have to pay maybe more for for their uh, goods and services that they're using to build uh products we need or produce gas that we need and you know labor is going up um so it's it, it passes down the line like People think that, well, how's it renter going to be affected? Well, the landlord's mortgage is going to go up and you're going to help pay that landlord's increase in mortgage. Right. So you're ready to go up. No one's really immune to it. And and it's kind of like a domino effect. Uh, I'm not sure that there's not much we can do. I think patience is a bit of, uh, is, is required right now and, and just planning and being safe with your, with your financial situation. Okay. So how confident are you that, uh, I mean, I guess ultimately we'll see what happens, but that, you know, we'll survive this, we'll get through this. And I, I mean, I guess have things like this happened in the past? Have people been this, like I hear these stories, Oh, interest was 15% in the 1980s. And I think that must've been so terrible, but obviously we got through it. Um, so is this, when you look at it, is it it's like, wow, it's never been this bad. Or is this just kind of just another one of these and there'll be many through our lifetime. Yeah. Well, I'm not a historian, at least when it comes to economic cycles, but by virtue of saying economic cycle, I think there's, you know, there's ups and downs. And I think what's different from the you know, from the eighties with regards to the high interest rates that I still remember uh, was that the pandemic wasn't part of the equation and the government subsidies weren't part of the equation and the, uh, you know, the collection companies and the banks and CRA and uh, the lenders weren't as aggressive in collecting their, their debts. They didn't want to be seen as the bad guy. They're a lot more lax, a lot more patient, extending a lot more grace. Um, so that's different. Um, what I do know is that pre-COVID, uh, the insolvency filings were pretty stable and they were stable for a number of years. But as soon as COVID hit, um, counterintuitive as it may be, the filings went way down. So why would the, the number of people filing for bankruptcy or consumer proposals across the country drop by 30%? It's because government subsidies and uh, banks that are being more gracious and, and interest-only payments on, on debt as opposed to principal. All of that is coming to roost because a lot of those um, subsidies and, and grace periods are coming to an end if they haven't come to an end already. So we're likely going to see more filings in terms of getting back to the pre-COVID level and maybe, maybe a bit beyond that. I've heard the name tsunami running around where it's going to be worse than it was pre-COVID. Maybe, maybe not. I, I tend to think that it might not because the government seems to be phasing in the interest rate increases. So that as you know, rather than make three points, they're doing it in smaller increments. But um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, people need to be concerned and, and be cautious. And if you are, you'll probably be okay and we will get out of it, but there's going to be certain people that will, uh, be more adversely affected than not. Uh, for those that, you know, had problems pre-COVID, uh, they're probably still there, yeah. and they didn't go away. And now that now it's time for them to address it. You know, the old adage of kicking your problem, kicking the can down the road, that may be the right adage for certain people. Okay. So good to know, like there, there is hope. There is a possibility that we'll get through it. We're just going to have to, uh, forego the, the oat milk latte and the avocado toast in the, in the immediate future. That may be part of it. Yeah. 
Awesome. Grant Bazian has been my guest. He's the president of MNP. Thank you so much uh, for your time and, and your insight. And, and before we go, is there like one stock that I should invest in for my future? I'm kidding. <laughs> Once I'm kidding. Again, I'm I've heard enough. GameStop is supposed to be great. Is there? A- <laughs> well, uh, uh, Elon Musk seems to be doing well, but yeah, uh, there you go. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is the Shift Podcast. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Pretty good. Thanks so much for being here. How was how was your Easter? How was your long weekend? Well, uh, it was more of a Passover, and it kind of kind of passed over that as well. So just trying to try to do a relaxing weekend for a change. Just just try to do something a little bit um, to to just relax because sometimes you just need to take a breath. Yeah, good man. I love that. That's we don't get enough of that. We don't do that enough. Oftentimes these holiday weekends, you end up filling them with. Uh, uh, things and people and hosting and driving around and all that type of stuff. And it ends up being like less relaxing than just a regular weekend. Uh, yeah, you got to take time for that, man. So great. Uh, what are we talking about on the world of weird things today? So I thought we'd do something even weirder than usual and ask if there are aliens who have been on Earth already, but not at that, you know, aliens guy whose name is actually Georgia Tsakalos way, you know, the one with the hair. And you can already see yes. the thing that I'm doing with my hands. Uh, not in that, you know, if white people didn't build it, it must have been aliens way. But in a genuine, are we the only civilization that existed on Earth way? Because believe it or not, there are scientists who have asked that question because life, complex life, as we know it, emerged about 600 million years ago. There were a number of wonderful events that filled the atmosphere with oxygen that allowed for a lot of diversity of life, uh, the so-called Cambrian radiation that took place over 80 million years. Um and between 600 million years and now, that, that's an awful lot of time, especially when you consider that humanity, modern humanity, like biological humanity, the way that we are, has only been around for maybe 200,000 years at most. So if in 200,000 years we went from country gathering and living in caves to having empires and flying into space, maybe this has happened before. Maybe billions of years there have been other uh, other civilizations on Earth. So there is an actual field of study in actual archaeologists that are trying to figure this out. And this is known as the Silurian hypothesis, named after the fictional race of um, alien lizards inside the Earth from Doctor Who, because scientists are nerds. Okay. No, that plays. I, I think that's great. I think that's cool. So what, what do we think? So the problem is that when you're starting to look for different civilizations, the question becomes, well, how do you know that you actually stumbled on evidence of them? So what they're going to look for is they're going to look for as many disruptions as possible. So obviously, we're going to start with us. So we are an industrialized society heading for post-industrialization. We have done a lot of damage to the planet. And obviously, all of that is in the geological record. So the plastic, the pollution. So obviously, if we were to go extinct, 
um, in the next couple hundred to a couple thousand years, all of our cities, all of our equipment, all of our technology would essentially just decay into dust and be buried by natural processes. But for millions of years, all of that, all of that stuff would end up creating weird rocks and weird formations and strange little imprints in the geological records. So civilizations that will come after us will be able to dig far enough and say, hmm, something's really off here. Like, this is not something that happens in nature. Okay, so I follow that. Like, all the, like, plastic, right? It would break down in a different way, and they'd be able to say, like, oh, this this wasn't always like this. This, Somebody created this at some point millions of years ago. So that's in the future. So have we found evidence like this, that there was something in the past? No, we have not found clear evidence of this. However, however, there is a little bit more complexity than that. Now, you're right. Things like changes in carbon dioxide or other greenhouse gases as in products of industry, uh, plastics, pollution, those are very easily noticeable. But what if you had a much cleaner civilization, a civilization that decided, well, we're really going to clean up our act and we're not going to dig up fossil fuels. We're going to do something. Or maybe they never discovered fossil fuels the same day that we did. And they used biomass, they ended up using wind and solar a lot more, or tidal. Their footprint on the planet would be very, very, very small. They would be able to do a lot of the things that we did pre-industrialization and have empires and have uh, a lot of things going on. But, you know, they won't they won't have industry. They wouldn't have factories. If they try to do computing, they would probably have to start seeing some sort of metals or plastics, something that computation is very difficult to do uh, from an organic standpoint. It, it becomes a little unreliable because then you, you have to resort to using living things. And that's the, those calculations aren't always accurate. And we can and that's an entirely different segment on on how to do computing. Right. Yeah, yeah. But the bottom but the bottom line is imagine something that's like the Roman civilization. And it's entirely possible that something like that has been around, but it was so far ago and it had such a light geological imprint that we won't be able to find it ever. And that's one of those interesting realizations that, yes, if we're looking for something that is like us, if we're looking for a big, disruptive, global, industrial civilization, we're not going to find it. But if we're going to be looking for something that is um, sort of like the agricultural empires uh, of the past few thousand years, then there actually is very little chance that we'll find that. And obviously, when it comes to things like hunter-gathering tribes, we know for a fact that there have been other hominids, other human-like creatures that have existed along with us. And we found their bones. We, we, know, we know that they existed. We just don't know all of them. But that's the, but that's the interesting thing about it. There is that possibility that there has been something out there and we will never actually know. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that sort of puts things, I don't want to say in perspective, it it puts things in perspective of like how mind boggling uh, this is that there could have been entire civilizations uh, and people groups and this whole thing and then completely died off and then started again. 
right? That's like sort of, that's what you're suggesting, right? Is that like a, an entire people group would have died off and then an, an, a new species, a new human race starts again. And that's, that's who we are. That's what we have now. Well, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and and point out that it's not me personally suggesting that. Sure, it's yeah, scientists yeah. suggesting that, but but yes, effectively, and it's not necessarily going to be human. It could be so. It could be something completely. That was my different. next it's, question. Yeah. So it wasn't necessary, or let's say hypothetically that this existed. It wasn't even necessarily human. Actually, it, there's no way that it would have been human at that point. It would have it would have possibly been something aquatic. You'd, you'd probably be looking at something like cephalopods or something of that nature, uh, maybe having some sort of a civilization underwater. That's another one of those possibilities because those structures would be washed away. Um, their bodies don't fossilize very easily there because they're soft, and we wouldn't be able to find any trace of it. So really, the the, the question then becomes like if we have so little that we can go on, uh, why are we actually even looking into it? Well, part of it is because we're trying to figure out what is possible to actually learn about what happened before us. Is it possible to understand how often intelligent life evolves? What are the conditions for intelligence? Like, can we really narrow down the basics of when life emerges and is there a certain trajectory that life tends to follow? And then the other question that brings up is it brings up this concept known as deep time. And deep time is one of those things that is it's not really easy for us to think about because our brains just don't compute these big numbers very easily. But when we start talking about what's going to happen in 10,000 years, 100,000 years, 10 million years, uh, we sort of start we sort of understand that there's like a lot of life left. There's a lot of things that are going to happen on earth between now and the next billion years or so when it's basically going to be too hot to exist on earth's surface but the actual process of how much we're going to go through in that time it, it's almost unthinkable and in fact there's some people who've tried there's actually a there's actually a book called all tomorrows if you really want to rattle your brain um, and it goes into that concept of what might happen to humanity in the next 600 million years and surprise surprise humanity evolves into a multitude of different species that rise that fall and then by the time that they actually manage to come back to earth that by the time that they kind of resolve all sorts of the conflicts that they've had that led them to that speciation they're about as far away removed from humans as a mollusk would be removed from us from a revolutionary time standpoint because mollusks mollusks have been around for about what 400 million years and we are relative newcomers so our genetic tree has split so far down that they might as well be an alien species to us. And and again, that's one of those things that people uh, who are very, very nerdy like to think about because we like to think about the possibilities. What is all out there? And if we understand what all might be out there or we have an idea what all might be out there, is there anything that we gather in that knowledge that might actually be beneficial for us? Something maybe to understand where we're going or where we want to go, or what are some of the things that we want to do in the future to make sure that our species continues? Yeah. I mean, I, I love to hear you say that, Greg, that we, we want to know, we, we like to think about the possibilities and what that could, could mean for us. I love that. I love hearing that. And I think that that 
Like it's an important thing to do. I mean, it's fun. It's fun to do it too. But I also think that it's it's important to do. So like let me ask let me ask you personally, because I get that the scientists, you know, we gotta say that. This is not our theories and stuff. But like, what do you think? Where are you at on this? Do you think that 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 that's the case that there were civilizations before us? I think it's possible. It's just I don't think that they were industrial civilizations. I think there may have been some like empires and some some forms of intelligence out there that we would recognize as comparable to ours uh, that are gone. Uh, it, it seems like it's it seems like it's a probability. Um, again, I have no absolute proof of this. But I, but I, I'm kind of sympathetic to the idea that just mathematically, it probably happened at least once or twice. Because the way that I approach it is that if our intelligence is so incredibly unique that it could have only emerged once, then it becomes very problematic to justify how it may have emerged. Yes, it may have been the fluke, but then you know if it's a one in a quadrillion fluke. Uh, how what it, what happened how did it how did it come about if it happened multiple times before on this planet all of a sudden instead of a one in a quadrillion fluke maybe it's a one in a billion fluke but now it's easier to explain because well it happened before it seems like there is a certain environment that favors the evolution of intelligence and this is just going to keep happening and probably will happen on other planets and off we go and again these are very fun things to think about And I think that one of the things that we owe to ourselves as humans to do is to indulge in that, is to read more about it and look more in depth into it. Because I think one of the biggest problems with modern life is that we're essentially just kind of encouraged to be in a cycle of producing and consuming and producing a lot of times things that no one really cares about and consuming things that are cheap and disposable and will probably end up in a landfill. Certainly. And what, what else is there is the, it becomes the question. And right now the answer is, "Mm, well, we need the GDP to go up. So can you just do more production and consumption? But that's not really good for how we have evolved as people. So a lot of us are going to fill that space with all sorts of randomness. And some of it could be good and some of it could be really, really bad. So if we don't let our imaginations fly, if we don't start asking questions like, well, if we are, um, you know, if we are, where are we like the only things that have intelligence on earth are we alone in the universe how can we find out how can we discover this is there anything along the way that we can learn that would be beneficial and really just capitalize on that kind of like explore curiosity spirit and basically give a lot more people a hobby and a purpose and something to get excited about it's something to think about that doesn't have to do with the economy the stonks and what Elon musk is tweeting about now um i feel like that would we would probably just be kind of like in a better place as people just mentally because we'd have far much more fun things to occupy our time and man i why not with science you know why not with science why not with technology why not try and experiment with something or 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 you know, do some citizen science or or build something. It's never been easier to get involved in science and technology than it is today. Yeah, and I love what you're saying, Greg. That especially highlighting this idea, uh, 
seeing it as a problem, modern life, that we're simply in this cycle of consume, 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 commerce, commerce, commerce. Uh, but to what to what end? You know. So okay, you bought the new car. Great. Now what? Is that is that the culmination of your being that you like bought a home or what? You know, is there something more? There there must be. And let's talk about that. Let's explore these possibilities and and also what they mean. What's what does that uh, what what is the what effect does that have on modern life and on on the lives we live? And man, I love talking with you about this stuff, even though we get to do it so rarely. So let me ask you this, because you're so passionate about it. How do you combat the idea that you know we're having this co- like so we're having this conversation on the radio, talking about the possibility that there are other civilizations before hu- humans. Uh, and, and if you try to bring that stuff up just in regular conversation, people, you're crazy. I don't understand. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Right. That could never happen. How, how do you combat that type of idea? You start asking questions. Why, why can't that ever happen? What, what would stop it? What, what do you think? Why do you think it couldn't happen? Because you're, then you're going to, you're at least going to engage people in the debate. And, and, you know, again, Is it possible that we are the first intelligent civilization on Earth? Yeah, absolutely. But at least you've talked about something different. You've talked about something new. Uh, A lot of times in science, and this is actually another very important thing, 99% of the time in science, the answer is going to be no. 99% of the time in technology, the answer to will this work is no. But that's okay because it's kind of like uh, I know the quotes attributed to Einstein, but I don't think that he said it. I think there's it's probably a bunch of people said it, and it was just attributed to whoever was most popular at the time. I haven't failed; I just found a million ways right. it won't work. Right. So it's, yeah, I love again, that. It's kind of it's kind of the same thing. You're not you're not looking to succeed. You're not looking to to go in and with confrontation like I know for a fact that this happened. You're more talking about, well, what about this idea? Let's talk about this idea. Let's try and figure out if this is true or not. Maybe the answer is no. But that's another thing that we do nowadays is someone has to be right. Someone has to win the debate. But that's not what a debate is supposed to be about. A debate is not supposed to be about winning. A debate is supposed to be an evaluation of the facts and trying to see where you land based on the best available proof and the criticism of that proof that you have on hand. And again, just just doing that is important because it gets you out of that cycle of everyday drudgery. And again, this is not to uh, this is not to kind of uh say that oh, you know, the commerce and and all of the other business stuff that we do is completely unnecessary. No, it is. It's I I I want people, I know people will make transactions in the future. People will make transactions as long as humanity is around. We'll have some sort of an economy as long as humanity is around. I just want it to be more meaningful and have time for people to be people because when people can be people and can explore and and can be curious they come up with all sorts of really new and interesting ideas and i will bet you that a whole bunch of those ideas are very very monetizable yeah and i love how uh first of all that we've sort of uh bridged the gap here from science into almost philosophy but the other thing that i you're the way you're speaking about it it made me think in our culture we're so 
sort of uh, results oriented, goal oriented. Uh, why, why are we having this discussion? Why are we doing this research? Well, because we have to find out the answer. And so that, that then suggests that if you don't find out the answer, if you don't reach the goal, you have failed. But it's not even failure. Sometimes it's worth it just to do it. You know, the, the exercise in itself, the research in itself, the study in itself is worth it. Even if you don't find the answer or don't achieve the goal, this idea that like, you know, goal set, and I'm not against goal setting and trying to achieve and all of that type of stuff as well, but it kind of, it's this, well, if it's not this way, then it means that it was that way. And if you didn't get there, if you didn't find that 1%, one yes answer that means you have failed uh but you haven't you've you've gained knowledge and we've moved forward as a society and stuff it's a brilliant conversation and i'm really grateful for it greg fish from the world of weird things thanks so much man for being here i i always appreciate it when i get to be here and we get to talk always a pleasure Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 